I soaked those boys down with my own hands. You just went to Leeds with no thought for the club, no thought for the players, just on some mad personal vendetta against me. Well, are you surprised? What else was I going to do after what you did? What did I do? Come on, Don, you know exactly. January 27th, 1968. See, I even remember the date. You came to Derby County, uh -huh. third round of the FA Cup, and you refused to shake my hand. Never. No, my, my matter of principle, I always shake the other manager's hand. No, you shook Peter Taylor's hand and my trainer, Jimmy Gordon. I probably didn't see you. No, you saw me, Don, but considered me beneath you. Looked down on me and dismissed me just like you did every other club and every other manager in the country. Never would I knowingly refuse to shake your colleague's hand. No. But the truth is, you were down in the second division at the time. Hmm? You know, I, I probably didn't know who you were. Welcome to part two of our The Damned United episode. Uh, but before we go into real talk, we are going to do a little bit of PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron channel and also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Also, Alex, this is a this is one of those weird twilight moments in podcast recording because we're recording way in advance, which means yeah. that as we record, we are about a week away from the livestream for the cure starting but this mm -hmm. episode when this episode drops the livestream for the cure will be about a week past yeah. so what this means is that uh as you are listening to this hopefully you are remembering how well our segment went and how much money we raised for cancer research we're going to join you with that happy reminiscing now let's just celebrate another livestream for the cure that went well uh, a it, success. Yeah, another success. Hopefully, uh, we we hit all the all the goals, and we're just gonna be proud of it for the next year until the next uh, livestream for the cure. So, thank you for tuning into our segment. Thank you for donating. Thank you for supporting the cause and uh, and the contrarian's little part in it. And if you are somebody that uh, just discovered the show because we did that segment, the livestream for the cure, uh, hey, good to have you. Oh yeah, kind of a an odd episode to join us though definitely not the strangest we've had but you know british sports movie is not usually what we tackle on the show even though we're clearly more than happy to do so especially when a patron is the one demanding it oh, yeah. uh, speaking of said patron alex kind of mentioned it on the on the first half in the trailer's corner but uh this is not the only demand from ben murray this this month so he made us watch the Damned United for the main feed. And mm -hmm. for the exclusive patron feed, this is going to be our first ever TV review on, on the patron channel. Uh, we're going to watch... Breaking ground, but we have to do it for our patrons. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's not it's not a random request either. I mean, Sex and the City has come up on the show time and again because you're a big mm -hmm. fan of the show, not so much of the movies. It's putting it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and I enjoyed teasing you about it, and I kind of admired the phenomenon of Sex and the City from afar, but uh, I'm about to get my hands dirty with it, uh, along with you, because Ben wants us to watch the first two episodes of And Just Like That, the the Sex and the City relaunch. Is that even a... No, it's not a relaunch, right? It's just like a continuation. It's just like a, a new show. Like, what do you, you call could, that? You could use the term relaunch with that. I guess it is relaunching the franchise in a way. Yeah. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how we experience this, Alex, because I've seen the two movies and that's it. So I'm going in with a lot less mythology in my mind. And uh, 
I kind of get the feeling that you'll be a lot more nitpicky about this than I will. I don't know about that. I just already feel bad for Ben. I'm going to have a really hard time caring. Uh, (laughs) I'll care, Ben. Don't worry. That's not true. I'll care because I want to care to deliver the goods to Ben, but it's like, it's just one of those things of, it already is broken to me. The movie's happened. It's just Mm -hmm. like, let it be broken. (laughs) This is not the grand gesture. This is the vague gesture, which is truly worse than no gesture at all. It will be a good time. Uh, just like the rest of our our <laughs> just like the rest of our, our patron offerings, we put up uh, clips that didn't make it into the into the episodes, our current room floor segments. We also put up our pre-recording notes uh, where you get to see a little bit of uh, the behind the curtain, like what our how our mind works while we're watching the movies and taking notes. We also have quick video reviews this month. Patron Brandon Curtis, he he continues his quest to make us watch more uh, Indian movies. So this time they're not part of the same franchise like he did last time. Uh, so Alex, he gave me the movie Minal Murali, which I, I it's on Netflix. And I just looked it up and the the, the screenshot, like the the thumbnail, it looks like a superhero. So I guess he's giving me an Indian superhero movie that is uh, two hours and thirty six minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I've gotten 2.0, which uh, is billed as a uh, South Asian film. It's on Amazon Prime. Dr. Vasi Garan and his android assistant, Neela, are called in for help after mobile start mysteriously flying out of hands of users. So <laughs> That sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, he's he's one for one. Like, That's true. I wasn't a big fan of Singham, but Singham Returns fucking ruled. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we got going here. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, hopefully you, dear patrons, are also looking forward to that. Even if you don't want to watch the movies themselves, you get to watch our reactions to them. Uh, you know, in condensed form. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. Now, over the last couple episodes, uh, as part of the Friends Travaganza, the After Hours uh, segments were tying in to whatever actor we were talking about. Uh, so we did uh, Charlie's Angels for Matt LeBlanc, and we did 3,000 Miles to Graceland for Corny Cox. Here, this is not a Friends of Against episode, so we're back to plugging things that we've read, that we've watched, that we've listened to. So, Alex, what are you plugging on the After Hours this time? I'm not plugging, but definitely discussing. We've got some catching up to do here. Mm-hmm. So... The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, The Unheard Tapes, which is a new documentary on Netflix that was, I have some conflicted thoughts on, not conflicted, it's just, it's kind of an okay movie. Um, the Gentleman, Guy Ritchie movie from a few years back, have you seen that with uh, the Mahay? Yeah, uh, I wanted to, I haven't seen it yet, that's uh, Matthew McConaughey that's in it, right? It's the Mahay, Colin Farrell, um, Charlie Hoonham, and fucking Hugh Grant, man, Hugh Grant's excellent in it. <laughs> so we got those, and then I will briefly bury the... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that was the Netflix exclusive this year. <laughs> I'm so happy that you watched it. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy that I'm so happy that I get to hear your take on it. That's, that's more like it. Oh, and, um, and continuing with the Batman animated films that I've watched, I did, I did get another viewing of the Gotham Knight in recently. I'm just going through my letterbox and things that I've watched since the last time we had a full After Hours episode. So uh, it's not going to be a seven-hour After Hours episode. I can, uh, I'll bullet point. I'll bottom line all my thoughts on these movies so uh, we can get through it quickly. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, on my end, I also have a documentary on 
on my list is uh, The Alpinist. is another Netflix documentary that is... This would conclude my trilogy of uh, documentaries about people that climb mountains. Finally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the long-awaited conclusion. <laughs> Ready to move on to other type of sports. Maybe I'll start documentaries about soccer players. Uh, but yeah, I'll tell you about The Alpinist. It's only like 90 minutes, so I figure, why not? But then, more importantly, and also tying into you know this episode... Uh, to uh, to the damned United, our friends at Filmbusters have been talking about the movie Boiling Point for months now, and I always say, okay, I need to watch it. I need to watch it. And uh, it stars Stephen Graham, who you know plays uh, what's his name, Bremner, the the captain of the yeah. of Leeds in this movie, and uh, I always know him as the guy from as uh, the guy from Snatch. Um, it's Tommy. Tommy is his name, right? In, yeah. in Snatch. From yeah. who? Tommy the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I love Snatch. Anyway, Stephen Graham, he's a he's the main guy in this one. He's the lead in Boiling Point. He plays a chef, and uh, we'll talk about it in After Hours. I, I finally, the main thing is that I saw this as my excuse to finally watch the movie since, you know, has the Stephen Graham connection and the Film Busters connection. So, uh, did I like it as much as uh, Ben Adam Paul did? Well, you'll find out on our After Hours segment. Uh, so, if any of these things that we just brought up sound interesting well you need to go to our patron page and sign up uh, that's patreon.com slash contrarian prime you'll see our four tiers just pick which one you want to join and become part of the contrarian supplements one dollar three dollar five dollars and ten dollars we have our varying uh ranges of tiers a one dollar subscription will get you on the ground floor give you access to all the things julio mentioned as well as our roxena miniseries our 10-year retrospective that uh, we've right. got going on right now um, with the most recent episode that'll be up this month, part four on the actual match. I think we're like over 10 hours of content pertaining just to the rock scene, story. So $1 will get you 10 hours of content on that. All you could possibly need to know on the rivalry of the rock and John Cena leading into WrestleMania 28, as well as their respective movie careers. So we got a lot of good shit on there. We always get some good feedback on what we do. We love our patrons that we have right now. We're accepting applications. I mentioned that email address as well. It is wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. If you don't want to engage with us on Twitter, if you just have any general questions as well, head on over there. We will look at it. We'll discuss it. We'll uh, tender our resignations and then act like we didn't mean to to begin with. (laughs) Just give us 44 days to impress you. There you go. So, what you want to do about that? It's not working. We have to park company. Fine, it'll cost you 25 grand. For six weeks' work? Plus three and a half grand for Jimmy Gordon. And an agreement that Leeds United will pay both our income taxes for the next three years. That is bloody criminal. And you can throw in the merc and all. What? Might be a bit flash for a man out of a job, but the truth is I've grown to like it. Who do you bloody think you are? Brian Clough. All right, Julio. The damned United. It's damned good. I, uh, I'm sad you didn't find that review because it is it's damned good uh, <laughs> for what it is. I need to get that clear. It's not it's not the greatest sports film ever. Uh, I guess just to lead off with it, my letterbox review said it's Tom Hooper's best movie and it's not even remotely close. <laughs> well, I think that you need to explain. You need to elaborate and explain that you haven't seen Cats. Oh yeah, I'm sorry that that's. Uh, that's the outlier for me. I always forget. Did you end up seeing it? 
Cats? Yeah, yeah, I screened it. Was it the disaster that people said it was? No. I mean, okay. it's it's a disaster in the sense that financially, you know, <laughs> it's like everybody agreed that they were going to pile on and they just trashed it for being, I thought, a very faithful adaptation of the stage production. It's a fucking play about cats that sing. I, I think mean, that was my initial thought when I heard everything is, do people know what cats is? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Th- th- you know, so many of the reviews were like, oh, LOL. It, Judy Dench is dressed as a cat and she's singing. Yeah, that's the play. <laughs> that's she's doing what the, you know everybody's doing what they were supposed to do and they're really good singers and they're really good actors and they're really good dancers so it just goes here's the, the problem you know and this is why i think that cats even fans of the show turn on the movie and that is that it's one thing to see it on stage and it's another thing to see it on film even though yeah. you're seeing the exact same thing, when you put it on film, somehow it enhances the silliness of it. And so I think that a lot of people didn't realize that they were seeing adults dressed as cats singing and dancing until they saw it in the movie. You know, even though it's exactly the same thing that was on stage. God rest his soul, Norm MacDonald had that uh, weekend update joke. I think it was to commemorate the 1,000th um, performance, performance of cats. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saving me there. Of cats in Times Square or whatever. And he's like... So tonight marks the 1,000th time a man turned to his wife and said, what the hell is this? <laughs> uh, okay, so Alex, there's there's the many roads to real talk here uh, because we have, as, as we mentioned, we have some messages from Ben to kind of set the stage uh-huh. uh, for the conversation. We also have the quotes from Rotten Tomatoes, and then, of course, we have our opinions. So... Initially, I was going to propose we we talk about the movie and then we close with Ben things. That way Ben's words didn't really influence our discussion. But I'm thinking, well, but but, but now here's what I'm thinking. Instead, we could do the opposite. We can just start with Ben's things. Because I think that through Contrarian's Corner, maybe, hopefully this happened to you too. Like through Contrarian's Corner, I kind of solidified how I feel about this movie. So I don't think that Ben's words are going to like sway me one way or the other. You know what I mean? So I actually think that Ben's uh, words might like guide the discussion. But I, I, I know how I feel about this movie, and and I mean clearly you do as well. You went as oh, far yeah. as logging in on to Letterbox. So here's what I'm saying: Let's do the quotes, then let's uh, read Ben's messages, and then we talk about the movie. Yes, that's the order I was going to line it up in. So let's okay, let's perfect. go for it. Perfect. Okay. Uh, here's a few rotten quotes then from the Rotten Tomatoes website. People that didn't like this movie. Uh, Chris Hewitt from St. Paul Pioneer Press says, Imagine an in-depth movie about a sequin factory in China that assumes we are already familiar with all the details of sequin making. And you have an idea <laughs> what it's like to sit through the damned United. Um, this guy's playing it up way too much. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's literally something we were. That's a a bit uh, an approach to the movie we worked into our facetious review of it. Yeah, it, it, it's not that complicated. No, you know, it, it's sports. You you kick the ball and it goes in the net. Yeah. Uh, next, Rick Grone from Globe and Mail says, "Like a skill player who just can't score, the damned United is all dazzle and no finish, and ultimately damn frustrating." There you go. You got that. Another missed opportunity to use the expression, though, all steak, very little sizzle. 
Yep, yep. Or in that case, you would say all sizzle, no steak. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe they just don't do that in England. What they have, like sausage? All sausage, no sizzle. All sizzle, no sausage. Fucking blood there pudding. Blood pudding. There you go. All blood, no pudding. Mm. Um, Matt Kellerman from Las Vegas City Life says, as foreign for American audiences as a story about one of Billy Martin's stints with the Yankees would be in the UK. What? Do you know what he's talking about? Yes, but okay, I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, the the germ of the idea of what he's saying is accurate, but if your movie's good enough, that shit doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's this this weird idea that you can't relate to something that is even a little bit removed from your own experience. <laughs> Come on now. Which, yeah, that's. I mean. I think we I even say this in the episode, like baseball is the sport I've grown up with the most. That doesn't mean I fucking love Moneyball. Quite the contrary. Every time I watch that movie, I'm like, mm. just because you're familiar with something or not familiar with it shouldn't dictate your ability to enjoy a piece of art about it. Yep. Yep. I agree. It's all in the execution. Um, all right. So first off, Alex, Ben wanted us to know that he owns this movie on Blu-ray, but it skips like a son of a bitch. Oh, that's that's. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I have Sunshine on DVD, and that's the one that always comes to mind. It's fine until the last five minutes, and then it just fucks up and skips everywhere. In the last five minutes, you get everything, man. Captain America sacrifices himself. Cillian Murphy saves the day, and yeah, yeah. Uh, he says he thinks he bought it pre-owned. Yeah, that's the risk. That's always a gamble, brother. But I yeah. respect that you have a physical copy of it. It's just not on a flash drive or. <laughs> I'm streaming it. Hey, I streamed it. You streamed did, it too. Yeah, because I didn't know what it was. But if I, you know my rule. If I like a movie, I, I fucking got on here and bought the Blu-ray of Charlie's Angels because what we did. <laughs> that sounds like a problem, my friend. <laughs> Not for me, for you. <laughs> um, all right. Next, he says. Uh, so for me, the reason I'd love to hear you guys go at it is because it feels so distinctly and inherently English. Uh, Clubs' time at the Reigns was well before I was born, but I grew up with, fami with family singing his praises. His legacy became something any football fan, of which I consider myself one, couldn't help but know of. But because of that, when I watched this, I already knew what I was getting in for. This lightly formulaic storytelling didn't matter to me, because Sheen brought Clough to life in a way he never existed for me. Do you have that... Alex, do you have the experience of like having heard of somebody like a historical figure or something from before your time and then you watch a movie about them and it just it feels extra special because of that? Oh, uh, I was going to say, oh, yeah, but up until the because we've gone over my very conflicted thoughts on Ali and that was the first one that came to mind. Right. Yeah. Uh, not. Off the okay, this is just off the top of my head. I would have to think about it. And I remember when the uh, when Babe Ruth shows up in the Sandlot. I remember as a kid, I was like, "Oh, that's Babe Ruth," um, <laughs> and that's his brother, Gay Ruth. <laughs> so, not necessarily a movie off the top of my head, but I do know like the first few times I I remember watching old Mike Tyson fights on ESPN Classic. It felt like it was something special because I had heard my dad and my uncle and like all the adults in my life talk about Mike Tyson. And so I can relate to exactly what he was saying with this. Yeah, I obviously, I mean, if we're keeping it to sports, yeah, I have nothing like that. But I do, I mean, I grew up. I watched this with match the, with The Rock recently. 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> I've been hearing about it for so long. Uh, no, I I did grow up in a in a family that was very uh, very much into soccer. You know, my my dad, all my uncles, and, and you know, my brother. Eventually, as he you know as he got older, I was kind of like the outlier there. But that doesn't mean that I was not aware of the culture. So, if they ever made a movie about you know the Universitario Sports Club, I mean, I would probably I would get a kick out of it. I probably wouldn't recognize as much of the details as if I was an actual fan, but I would be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's my dad's team. That's my uncle's team. So I can see how that would enhance the movie, you know, to begin with. You've been hearing about this and then it's there. That's uh, so you've never seen Man on Wire, but you saw the Zemeckis movie, right? Correct. That's got to be kind of a similar feeling. Like I've heard a bunch of people talk about this. Let's see what's up. Yeah. Except the Zemeckis movie is not that good. Yes, that's confirmed. <laughs> um, all right, so Ben continues. Uh, I'll be keen to know if the, if his story works for you guys. Did some of the twee English dialogue scenarios and dress sense get in the way of the story? Uh, did the time jumps overcomplicate the story, or did they help? For me, it worked, knowing the timeline of events in advance. But ultimately, were you as won over by me by the central conceit that an entire career of Clovis got boiled down to his rivalry with Don Revy? How a few weeks snapshot managed to represent the man and his way of life so well. Um, and he closes saying, anyway, just some thoughts. I love the film. And although it's not my favorite football film, that's goal, it is, in my opinion, the best one. Because just like Jaws isn't really about the shark, this isn't really about football. Uh, and then he included a link to a YouTube video where we could see the real Brian Clough uh, talking to Don Revy in an interview that is basically what inspired the climax of this movie uh did you, oh, yeah, did you get to like, watch it alex yeah that's almost like some michael haneke shit of like you know <laughs> shot for shot remakes <laughs> yeah yeah uh he says uh clove was actually much more wet sympathetic wet slash sympathetic in real life which perhaps may be my biggest criticism of sheen slash clove in the film he's an asshole in many ways but so was rivy um so okay so a lot to unpack there alex but uh I guess we can start with the Britishness of it all. Did uh, they get in the way of you enjoying this movie? I'm terrified of Ryan and Bartek's reaction because when we did <laughs> our last episode with Ryan, he was none too pleased with our, I guess, xenophobia towards Australian films and their culture. <laughs> uh, because, you know, I've talked about numerous times snatch and guy Ritchie movies of the like that i really enjoy i don't know if you'd classify sid nancy as part of british cinema but that's a movie i really like um british cinema is well represented in my physical media collection so like the first time i saw snatch for example or like train spotting or something there was a novelty of they talk different than us that's mm -hmm. funny they have they have their own customs and expressions. And honestly, it's been like growing up and realizing there's more to the world and different cultures and shit like that. And then also following like sports like boxing and constant, which has a v extremely heavy following in the UK, uh, wrestling similarly. And just, I've become accustomed to how they speak how they dress, how they walk, how they talk, 
it's just like one of those things of I've watched so much shit over there and soccer included. Um, and also because of the brilliance of the internet, one of the few positives from it, I've made some friends from over there. And so kind of understanding uh, and do this podcast obviously as well. Um, more of the culture in general to where you watch it. And it's not just like, huh, uh, it's, it's different than us. Um, now to be clear, the Australian films we've watched, we've liked a couple and not liked a couple. And I, uh, 100% our issues with the ones we didn't like were more because we've just seen better versions of that movie, not just because it's, you know, a different culture or some shit like that. Um, in this case, no, the Britishness does not throw me off because it's so easy to follow and it doesn't spoon feed you. But if you're paying attention, everything in here makes sense and you know where you're going and you know why this is happening. You know why this character does this, you know why this character does that and what the, the dynamics of them are to the point where the backdrop really, to me, it could have been anywhere and it would have all been the same. Yeah, I, I mean, the when you say too British, they're not like saying like a specific address or a neighborhood or some shit like that, that, you know, they're making these inside jokes that only certain people would get. Because when you do shit like that, it that's not, that's not a common occurrence in any nationality. But my point is, that didn't deter away from it. I thought that just what was happening was so strong. And yeah, I enjoy the subject matter. I enjoy, I enjoy football and I enjoy learning about stories and sports that I didn't know about before. Um, I had heard of Brian Cloth, but I obviously to this level was not familiar with the story. So I think my openness to it may not be the same for all, but I guess that's where it comes to you, Julio, because you're even, you're not like a sports person. Um, right. So th- the idea of this doesn't sound intriguing to you on paper, so did the Britishness or the sportsness of it block you from like mentally entering it? See, that's that's the thing. Like, I don't have a problem with the Britishness. Cause I, I imagine, I think that British cinema is probably the the second uh, most universal. Largest. Yeah, you know, it's like I, I've watched so many of them, but, you know, I don't even think about it. Although if I had to think about it, I would say, okay, when I think of British cinema, I think of period pieces and I think of crime dramas, right? That that seems to be like what I consume the most when it comes to British cinema. Uh, but but I've seen, you know, British dramas and British comedies and, and so on. Fucking Richard Curtis, I guess, you know, that <laughs> that is, does he qualify as a British filmmaker or is he an universal filmmaker right now i don't know i think Um, he's a citizen of the earth (laughs) Uh, but anyway so it's not so much the britishness although i think that this movie is you know very british i i get it you know there is yes it's universal in the way that you can understand it because it's you know the conflict is very relatable it's very simple you can you can follow it but i think that there's that extra layer that if you are either british or familiar with you know the british history that is covering then you know it's like the 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 dicaprio meme where you just point at the camera it's like oh it's that team and it's that team and i remember that and i remember that you know see without Uh, getting too far into it though that's where i become curious of like my shit of movies we've watched from like okay that's not the fucking story uh uh uh-huh okay yeah i'm curious about that too but 
but I obviously like I think that there is there's some shorthands in the storytelling and this is not a bad thing you know because ultimately I was like I said I was able to follow the story and I was fine but uh, where if you know of these epic rivalries for example between teams or between divisions or what have you or uh, you know there's some things that the the movie establishes kind of quickly uh, you know in the in the intro when it's you're seeing the opening titles I'm telling you well the morale was really low because they had failed to qualify for the World Cup or whatever, you know, like that kind of stuff. I think that it probably hits you harder if you if you were there, if, if it's part of your your country's history. And so that obviously was not part of my experience, but it wasn't a barrier either. The barrier, if there was one, was just that I, you know, I have an interest in, in, in football and soccer. And uh, if it's a, if there's a sports movie that is not well done, then it's gonna be it's gonna lose me really quickly. Uh, that was not the case here. It, I was a little confused, not even confused, but just I guess surprised by something that we discussed in Contreras Quarter, which is just that the how violent, uh, how acceptably violent it was. <laughs> that I didn't know, but but I trusted that the movie was telling me the truth. So I'm like, all right, I guess that's how it is, and I just didn't know that that they could get so so nasty on on the field and it was okay so or you know within reason so so that was more more like it that the i was not ready for british soccer players to be so so bad so <laughs> such naughty boys yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but other than that i mean I, I, it's it's easier i think that we both kind of agree that it's kind of like an easier transition than you know when we watch a movie from uh, a country that we're not so used to so that there's that uh now uh next point time jumps did you how did you like this how how did you like the 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 setup of like okay we're not going to tell it linearly instead we're going to go back and forth between the present and the past at first i was like really but then it did the thing of like it got quicker and quicker on each leap, and then it kind of is what builds to the fallout in a kind of almost unexpected way. And so, yeah, I wasn't sure if doing it that way could really work in a 90-minute movie, but uh, I thought it was easy to follow. And even if you missed the the you know the title card of what year it was, you could catch up pretty quickly based on just like even the, the visual surroundings of what was going on. Yeah, and I think it works for two reasons, or at least it works for me for two reasons. And uh, one is that uh, I like the contrast of the more innocent uh, Michael Sheen from the past versus the the complete ass that he is in the present. Yeah, you know, that there's like that cockiness that he doesn't have at, at the beginning of the movie, or you know, every time you go travel back in time, you kind of like. You st- at the beginning of the movie, you see what the end point is, and then you see him slowly become that throughout the movie, and I, I found that a lot of fun because uh, he's a great actor. But then the other thing that works is uh, what we brought up in Contrarian's Corner, the mystery of what happened between Timothy Spall and Michael Sheen. <laughs> that was really, you know, <laughs> that has nothing to do with sports. That that was, you know, no. that's the heart of the movie for me, like this friendship and how it falls apart and why it fell apart, and that was what kept me going. And uh, I, that really made it enjoyable. So, uh, yeah, if you tell it linearly, I mean, yeah, you're going to hit the same beats. But I think that it takes away a little bit of the fun of that immediate contrast between the, the two timelines. So 
I, I like them both. I didn't find it confusing. And I, I, it sounds like you didn't find it confusing either. No, yeah, not at all. Um, now, the central conceit of the club's entire career boiled down to his rivalry, uh, you know, and the, the whole thing with the 44 days, the, the few weeks snapshots uh, encapsulating his life. Um, so how do you feel about, about him as, as, as a character? Because I, like, I like it. I, I think that going into this movie, I didn't know anything about it, right? And uh, so I didn't know that I was watching the story of his failure, and that might be one of my favorite things about the movie. <laughs> that when I mean, forget about the the end credits where Tom Hooper is like, no, but he's great. Uh, you know, just like the story of the forty four days is a story of a guy that made every possible wrong decision. <laughs> like he 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 almost had it all, and then he pissed it all away. And yeah, because he was just too thick headed to. You know, embrace what worked for his enemy or yeah. what have you. Did no. you know that going in, did you know that that was that you were watching a tragedy or did you think it was going to be kind of like the, the triumphant sports movie? Yeah, like I said, I had only known Brian Cloth by name and so I didn't know the whole story. And the way it's structured in the beginning makes you think it's going to be, oh, captain, my captain. So the fact that it turns out the way it does, I think, I, I think that's cooler for someone who doesn't know the story mm-hmm. coming in. I, the the part where I'm a little more conflicted is with the the character himself, and I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not even a an actual criticism of the movie, uh, and it it blends a little bit with what I was saying in Contrarian's Corner. The I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things where like you had to be there. I don't understand what the appeal of him is. Like I guess he's a good frontman, and 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 the movie certainly ser- sells you that. Uh, well, a big part of it, Julio is it's late sixties, early seventies, and there weren't really like people cutting promos and shit, especially in like real sports, you know. Uh, so, uh, and I'm trying to think of, you know, I mean, it was a bit more than the fifties, but still, not everybody had a TV that type of thing. So people on TV were already stars, and then when that person is kind of controversial for the time, and you know has a silver tongue and is talking, you know, talking shit in a time where it wasn't known. I could see how that portion of his persona and just his magnetism, how that drew. Uh, I think it was definitely a time period thing. Now everyone does that shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that actually makes perfect sense. Uh, I think I am conditioned by whatever sports movies I've seen to, to expect more of him as a leader, I guess, as a successful leader, you know, like the usual, leader character be it like the coach or the captain or whatever in your in your sports movie i guess he generally does more than this you know what i mean like even okay we just did uh, i was gonna say semi-pro and i guess it's a valid comparison still you know semi-pro moneyball and in both cases yeah you understand very well what billy bean does for the team what jonah hill does for the team what uh jackie moon does for the team what uh Monix does for the team like it is very i can very much see the value that they bring and why they're they're important and through the entire movie i wasn't sure now i get it you know yeah looking back i'm like yeah the value of michael sheen's character was just what you just said he was a great shit talker and he had that presence and basically that carried him through a lot but as i was watching the movie i kept waiting for for more, you know, I keep waiting for for it to to have a little more substance, and it's kind of like you said in Contrarian's Corner. I, I guess the movie is expecting me to just 
trust him. And they're like, no, trust us. He's clearly he's doing something right because the teams keep moving up. But there was a part of me that wanted to see something a little more concrete, especially because by the time you get to the end of the movie, Tom Hooper is telling you that this guy was great. Like, I think that the yeah. ending, that final title in the movie, I don't know, it's, it's like they're talking about somebody else. Because <laughs> the guy that I saw through the entire movie was a fuck-up. I mean, you know, a, yeah. a fuck-up that could, like, speak very well, but he really didn't know. You know, like, let's celebrate Timothy Spall instead. <laughs> the man behind the man. Let's hear it for the boys. Yes, and without you, I still have a job in Derby. A job and a home that I love. Now, this is where I guess maybe the reason that that character is drawn that way is for dramatic uh, purposes. You know, like Ben said that the real cough was actually nicer. and But, you know, the movie might not be as entertaining if he was a nicer guy. Yeah, that's always, the you know, creative liberties are always going to be taken that way. I think there's plenty of movies in sports or just based on anything, politicians and shit, where people, they're what they're known for is turned up to 11 or charm or their, you know, grumpiness. Uh, In the realm of historical accuracy, the film has been criticized by the Cloth family as they state it was not a very true story of events. Uh Uh-oh. Dave Mackay sued Left Bank Pictures over his portrayal in the film. He was angered at the implication that he had betrayed Cloth in taking Darby's manager's job. The Derby manager job, excuse me. Martin O'Neill, who played for Mackay at Nottingham Forest before his departure to manage Derby, suggested that the film falsely implied that Mackay was still a player at Derby County when becoming manager of the club, whilst also questioning the portrayal of the relationship between Cloth and Pete Taylor, though he praised the performance of the actors, particularly that of Sheen. In March 2010, Mackay won an apology and undisclosed damages from Left Bank Pictures. (laughs) Roy Farland, who is a former football manager and player with uh, Derby County, agreed with Mackay's decision to take legal action and said that he enjoyed Sheen's performance, but otherwise did not particularly like the film. The publishers of the novel had already been successfully sued by Irish... (laughs) Midfielder and former Leeds player Johnny Giles, he wrote, Many of the things Peace talks about in the book never happened, and for that reason, I felt it necessary to go to the courts and establish that this was fiction based on fact and nothing more. What he's referencing there is uh, David Peace, who penned the Damned United uh, novel that the film was based on. It was written for the film by Peter Morgan. So is anyone happy with... uh... (laughs) Their portrayals in this movie. How about the, the, the Pete, the, the Timothy Spall character? Oh, I'll continue on here saying that BBC, BBC sport journalist Pat Murphy, a personal friend of Cloth, noted 17 factual inaccuracies in the film, including various errors regarding the timing of events. He particularly dismissed the, quote, absolute nonsense of a scene where Cloth stays in Darby's dressing room during a match against Leeds, too nervous to watch. <laughs> but then we wouldn't have had Moneyball. But also, I mean, that is just, that is creative license. That is not, was that hurt in the real world? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you just, yeah. I understand, like, the, the Mackay thing. Okay, I, I get it. You know, you're the, the movie does make it look like it's a betrayal. Cuff brought him to the team and then 
<laughs> Mackay, according to the movie, took his job, basically. So, yeah, I can see how that would be a point of contention. But, uh, okay, what happens during the match, if he just stays in his office, I mean, yeah, sure, whatever. It's it's a cool-looking shot. Yeah. And then the other inaccuracies listed here, a lot of, like, just dates and timing issues. One calls out that he didn't drink or smoke the way the film portrayed. I'm like, but that that's a movie, dog. That makes the character more mm-hmm. engaging. And so I'm sure there's a movie I've seen that I was like, that's not how it fucking happened and got annoyed by it. But as I, the older I've gotten, I'm like, yeah, just make a good movie. I get more annoyed when people, when people will fuck with fictional material to begin with. Like the idea of how Zack Snyder changed the end of Watchmen or... <laughs> Uh, the 2009 reboot of Friday the 13th that just made no sense and betrayed everything of the characters up till that point. That <laughs> that shit's more likely to make me mad than watching like, uh, you know, I always talk about in the boxing movies they portray these fight scenes as each guy's just throwing haymakers for 12 rounds, man. Which obviously that's not the case. So <laughs> I understand how that can trouble, annoy, anger, and to the point of seeking legal repercussions some of the people involved if they feel they've been wronged but for me as a movie viewer i read that stuff i'm like okay (laughs) it i enjoyed the movie probably because of some of these heightened you know uh or over exaggerated aspects of your character yeah i've always been of the position that it's something like this when a movie really catches your interest i would say there's a good chance that it will drive you to learn about what really happened yeah yeah, you know, and, and and so that's a good thing. I understand also that that's not always the case, and there are some people that might just watch this movie and feel like they're experts there's, on. There's uh, plenty of people that watched Moneyball and were like, "That's how you win baseball." Exactly. Well, and they, even worse, and they think that they know everything about Billy Bean, yeah, and they can just yeah, go yeah. and get into conversations and quote the movie as fact instead of saying, "Well, I watched the movie," and so um, yeah, I understand both sides and. That's the whole point. I used to use this uh, this argument a lot more often when I was less sympathetic to the plea of the people that were angry about the movies. You know, I would be like, it's not a documentary. It's fiction. But the truth is, it's fiction based on fact. And so you should, uh, you know, have that disclaimer probably at the beginning of the movie where you're like, there were literary uh, or artistic Liberty's taken with the material. Uh, now, Peter Morgan is no stranger to this. I mean, this his entire career is this. He's the guy that's... Uh, he's the showrunner slash creator of uh, The Crown on Netflix. Oh, okay. And I think I, we brought it up yeah. before. Yeah, he's... You know, he got into it with the with the royal family because they were saying, hey, this is not how it happened. And his response is like, yeah, but it's good TV. <laughs> so uh, he wrote Frost Nixon, the, the play, and then he adapted the movie. And, you know, that's... Uh, Michael Sheen, actually, yeah. you know, I, I mentioned in Contreras Corner. Like that's, I don't know how accurate that is, but fuck, seeing Frost and Nixon having it out on TV, it's like really entertaining. Yeah. And uh, if I really cared about it, I would go and read about you know the the real interviews and watch the real interviews. He wrote the Queen. Uh, he's done something else that's also like based in real life. So that's that's his thing. So at this point, I think he probably has. You know his list of like stock responses whenever somebody complains about this kind of stuff, and uh, it's not a documentary. It's probably you know up there yeah. <laughs> near the top five. Um, it's it's fine. I I think that uh, not that anybody needs to you know heed my advice or anything. I, I would just say if you ever watch one of these movies, I, I guess 
make sure you don't quote it as fact. Just make sure you know that you're watching like kind of an artistic interpretation of reality. Uh, this is my my, my favorite go to now is. Uh, Every time I think of uh, the Steve Jobs movie that Aaron Sorkin wrote and uh, Daddy Boyle directed, right? Because that is, it's mostly fictionalized as far as, you know, the things that happen, they didn't really happen in real life. But what seems to be mostly, like, the consensus is that it captured the essence of all the people involved in the movie. So... Yes, Steve Jobs didn't specifically do this and didn't say this and didn't act this way. But when you watch the movie, if you knew Steve Jobs, you walk away going like, yeah, that actually felt like him. Dude, social you network, know? same thing. People are like, eh, this didn't happen. It's like, yeah, but that movie fucking rules. So, <laughs> And if nothing else, reality seems to have proven that... Uh, the the real Zuckerberg was even worse than whatever portrayal uh, than the portrayal that uh, Jesse Eisenberg gave yeah, us right. in the movie. Yep. Yeah, it's all valid. As per usual, you and I are right about something. Uh, <laughs> exactly, everybody else is wrong. But but okay, so Ben doesn't seem to be bothered by any of these things, and he's somebody that's a lot closer to the story. Kind of like you know when we did Moneyball, you I mean it bothered you. The inaccuracies bothered you. Right? Uh, yeah, I think it's that was more of me getting like frustrated with the idea that someone would see that and take it as truth, which I guess is the movie's fault. But uh, you know, all the joking aside, I talked about my main gripes with that movie fell in line with just some of the pacing and the things that they did with the story. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm of course, like uh, the the wrestler is a perfect example. Obviously, Randy the Ram is a composite and not based off of any real person. But some of the things that happen in that are just way embellished aspects of wrestling. Some not. Some of it's right. But I mean down to like the mechanics of it. I I remember when we did that episode talking about it. The part where he takes the razor out so slowly and just, you know, (laughs) and like the the way they talk in the match and stuff like that. I get it. It's what that's what you need to do to make it more accessible to more people. And that's just like. But for me, someone who's like educated on the subject is laughable, but obviously that does not affect my enjoyment of the movie. It's fucking awesome. Pain and Gain is a perfect example. I went and read that whole story afterwards, and I was like, man, Michael Bay really jumped all over the place with this. Do I care? No, because that movie's <laughs> awesome, like that type of thing. So I assume if Ben was here, he would say something similar to the effect of, yeah, I know that didn't happen that way. It doesn't change the fact that this is a really good movie, and it also... To me, it sounds like it hit the general theme, tone, mood of things that happened at that time. It's just, man, it's always a risky thing when real people get portrayed on film because you're going to piss someone off. And a lot of times it's going to be someone who's related to the person, that type of thing. Yep. So, um, interestingly, Roger Ebert, uh, the Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times, Julio, in case you weren't familiar, that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he gave it three and a half out of four stars, and he said specifically of Sheen that he portrayed a modern British icon so uncannily that he's all but disappeared into the film. And you can tell just by the other shit. I I can tell just by the other things I've seen Michael Sheen and that he went out of his way. There's all these mannerisms, little tics and shit that he has, and he did his homework for it. Um, that... Ali is an example of that too. Yeah, that movie. There's a lot of things you can say about it, and not all of them are good. But it 
Will Smith's fucking awesome, and he is Muhammad Ali, and that it seems like for better or worse that Michael Sheen was Brian Cloth in this. And why isn't he a bigger name? Do you think? Because he's obviously he's know. got the meat, he's got the talent. Yeah, he is great. Every time I see him anywhere, I'm like, ah, that's good. He was uh, more recently. He was in this uh, Amazon miniseries uh, based on a Neil Gaiman novel, Neil Gaiman Terry Pratchett novel, uh, Good Omens. He plays the angel. It's about an angel and a demon teaming up to prevent the apocalypse because they like Earth so much oh. that they join forces to prevent the apocalypse. It's really good. It's really funny. And he he plays the angel. David Tennant plays the devil, the the demon, and he's good and i'm like yeah that is i mean you could anywhere you see him he's always he's always good uh i remember seeing him the first time you know ever on the queen and i had zero reference as far as like i don't even think i knew what uh tony blair looked like but he was good in the movie <laughs> i was like that's really all that matters um like i said i mentioned frost nixon he's fantastic in frost nixon uh haven't seen him in the twilight movies but i'm sure he's great he's in midnight in paris he is yes uh, yeah, he's uh, Wesley uh, Snipes. He's Wesley Snipes. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember? Like, uh, I can't remember. You haven't watched Thirty Rock in a long time, right? Yeah, I know it's been a while, and like I said, I haven't watched the whole thing. Uh, I know he's Wesley Snipes in uh, Thirty Rock, as you've told me. Well, okay. So his thing is, him and Liz meet at this orthodontist appointment when they're both just like high out of their minds on you know the laughing gas, and so they. <laughs> convince themselves they're meant to be but then when they spend time around each other in real life they just have absolutely nothing in common and liz just grows to absolutely hate him and he that's she introduced he like introduces himself as wesley and the the first time you meet him and then like an episode or later or something it's like mr snipes and she's like wait a minute your name is wesley (laughs) snipes why don't you just go by wes or something different he goes if you put me and him side by side who would you think would be more likely to be named wesley snipes (laughs) <laughs> and then just uh he tells liz at one point he's like you and i are just like russ and rebecca on chums and she like looks at him really confused and he's like you know chums i'll be there always <laughs> while the rain's pouring whales <laughs> amazing yeah he's he's tremendous on that but um just at the point we're getting at, he's he's got a very interesting filmography, and he just feels like a guy that should be a bigger deal. I mean, maybe that's just. I mean, it's a bartender you know, and passengers, decided. but yeah. I mean, how do you top that? It's just it's all downhill after that. Uh, uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. He he ain't eating fucking tuna and rice every night. <laughs> no pork and beans for this guy, but he's uh, got the Twilight buddy. Uh, I mean, how many times do you think he's turned down an offer to be in an MCU movie? <laughs> Probably like four or five times at this point. They're running out of people. <laughs> like, hey, do you want to be... Uh, 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 how about Morph? We can make a movie about Morph. <laughs> how about Michael Sheen as a silver surfer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to be uh, Omega Red? Maybe that'll work. <laughs> Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't spend at least a minute just praising Timothy Spall. Absolutely fantastic in this yep. movie. Yeah. Man, I, it, not even, you know, almost accidentally, we've had him three times on the show already. And granted, uh, I mean, his part in the King's speech is minimal, but it wasn't that long ago that we did Getting Square. So, And he was, we gave him his propers for that one too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we it was our favorite part of Getting Square. And 
It, he might be... I mean, Sheen is great here, Ed, but but Timothy Spall might be my favorite as far as, you know, the moving parts of the movie. Yeah. Which is him having a heart attack <laughs> over all this shit and then his desperation when he starts hearing this the insanity where he's like oh you, you put in our resignation letters <laughs> yeah you dumb motherfucker uh call doesn't he has a very one note character it's mm-hmm. just to be very proper and you know very professional and british i would have done nothing of the sort that type of guy and so uh there's you can't he obviously the movie is Michael Sheen and Timothy Spall. They're the ones that are given the big range. But I think all the supporting characters, starting with uh, Meany and even like Stephen Graham, man, he's a real asshole. Yep. Yep, he is. <laughs> I I was kind of bummed that he didn't get a comeuppance, but I also would like, I don't know how, you know, because this is allegedly based on true events. And I'm like, in real life, this guy wouldn't get, you know, nothing would happen. He's just an asshole. And that's, that, that was the point of the movie. Uh, he died of a heart attack at fifty four, so Jesus. I think he did get he did get his comeuppance <laughs> in the end. <laughs> That's the only reason why he didn't get to sue the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he had been dead for twelve years before it came out. Oh man, uh, Jim Broadbent! Like it took me. I'm surprised how long it took me to recognize him. Uh, I think it was the hair. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was thinking that guy looks like Jim Broadbent, and then at some point there was a close up. I'm like, oh no, it is Jim Broadbent. It's just you know he was much younger. Um, I didn't get to bring it up in Contreras Corner, but I always think of Jim Broadbent as a character actor that's mostly playing silly roles. Uh, you know, we've had him before on the show for uh, Cloud Atlas. And, you know, he plays mm-hmm. a, the old guy that gets, that he's being basically taken hostage by that home. And uh, that's that's what I think of when I think of the Jim Broadbent character. And so here, he's playing the chairman and he's this authority figure. And he... It's great because that's the character, you know, that he he keeps he talks a big game, but uh, Michael Sheen keeps walking all over him. And uh, I was like, figures, you know, Broadbent would be playing that type of character. But then mm-hmm. at the end, he kind of sets his foot down or rather he seizes the opportunity to get rid of this asshole, uh, which which was good. So I still I was surprised when you said that he was nominated for any sort of award because I felt that this was a, a tiny part for him. Yeah, I think. You know, Judy Dench got an Oscar for eight minutes of work, so. (laughs) She said the president. She did. And the Oscar goes to Tom Hooper, the King's Speech. So, jokes aside, Tom Hooper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's, Let's get to it, Alex. Do you owe Mr. Hooper an apology? He made a movie I liked. Um, <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys. He's you know he he's kind of like Tarantino esque in the sense of like he's such a big name, but he's only done you know what five, six, seven movies, something like that. And uh, so it's always kind of a, a refresher. Like when I looked up his credits today, I was like, oh shit, yeah, he's only done a few movies. Um, my take on this from a direction standpoint is this is a filmmaker making a movie about something he's passionate about whereas all the other shit i've seen of his he's a dude making a movie to try to make a good movie and if that's through 
song, dance, visual effects, what have you, uh, topics of the time that are prevalent or, you know, historical stories that have a, a bit of melancholy to them because that's the type of shit that wins awards. I was about that's, to say, awards baity is how I would describe every other Tom Hooper movie that I've watched, whether I like them or not. Yes. I was trying not to just default to that. So, But yes, that's exactly <laughs> how you would describe them. I'll jump on the grenade for you, Alex. <laughs> Thank you. So watching this is like, son of a bitch, this guy can't actually make something that he puts part of himself in because this... This this is made by an excited filmmaker. This is made by someone who's passionate about his subject material. So, yeah, I mean, it was 13 years ago or whatnot, but he did it. So props to him. Uh, I man, I don't know if it's ever gonna. I mean, ever is a strong term, but just looking at his filmography since then, who knows? Maybe he'll bust something out like this in the wake of Cats, because that obviously didn't go the way he thought it was going to. So maybe we'll get back to this, but just his track record since has just been, give me awards. Uh, And so I'll be interested. It's like I said, to me, his best movie, and not even like with a second that's anywhere close. Uh, you're, uh, you were a bit more, if I remember correctly, uh, forgiving of Les Mis than I was. And, uh, I think you like the King speech more than me. So I'm curious your thoughts of where this lands and what you see from this, from the perspective of him being a filmmaker. Um, no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I think, I mean, of course it's one of those things of like, uh, was this his first movie? Second. Second? Okay. I'm curious what his first movie is like because it, it feels. I mean, I can his say. His first this. movie is a drama starring Hilary Swank and Chiwetel Ephafor that's pretty hard to find. At huh. least here. Well, this, I mean, it's still, you know, before he, in a way, was big. And it's a little bit of those, like, uh, you know, like his first album or his second album before. For he sold out. I'm not saying that he sold out, but he he definitely uh, he bought he, in. He bought in. You can see the change, and uh, I like the King's Speech. Um, Limis, I think that and I, I think I mentioned before. Like I I think that there are stretches of that movie that are amazing, and then there are stretches that don't work. And uh, now that I've seen the the play like on stage, I can tell you that a lot of the problems I have with Limis come from the adaptation to the stage. And so it wasn't just Tom Hooper fucking up the story. It was also like, you know, whoever adapted it (laughs) to the stage. It's just the structure of that story is really weird. And so you could argue that the movie that Tom Hooper made was kind of like the best that you could have done, which I guess is also the story with cats. (laughs) But still, you know, there's some choices there that are kind of like puzzling. And this is, uh, this is a more enjoyable movie overall. And I think that it's it's a movie that has I say it has more to say in a less flashy way, and I think that that's why I like it. So I would definitely I'll put it over you know the King's Speech. I put it over Cats. Uh, maybe on par with the King's Speech. I like the King's Speech. I mean, we had that whole episode about it. Where I was like, man, I don't know why you're so angry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this much like the King's Speech, I'll probably enjoy this even more the second time around. It's it's fine. It's it's a good movie. It's a good movie with r- great performances, namely you know Michael Sheen and Timothy Spall. So, as somebody that has zero interest in sports, this, this is like 
private life getting me invested on people that wanted to have kids when I don't want to have kids. And this is the same thing. You know, this this movie got me invested in the fate of a soccer team manager when I have zero interest in soccer. It's like it's good filmmaking. It's good storytelling and uh, really good performances. So, yeah, I wavering between three and a half and four stars. I, I, you know what kills it is that that final um, title screen. Yeah, it's like the most fanboy service thing that happens in the movie. Yeah, it it, it feels so. It's like jolting. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. that that's the story that you were telling me because I thought we yeah. were in sync. <laughs> and that turns out that you're telling me that this guy was was amazing, and I thought that what we were doing was pointing out his flaws. Uh, so, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna land on three point five star, three and a half. Uh, what's your letter grade? Uh, B teetering between a b and a b plus i mean it's really solid shit it's going to be a movie i recommend to people to check out so ben you done good kid big fan <laughs> yes very thank happy. you for bringing bringing this across our table uh i'm sure it's one that we'll reference again at some point in time when we discuss movies based on true events soccer movies why not all right julio i think we've uh adequately covered the damned united what's coming up next in contrarian's lore well next episode we're back to the french travaganza this is episode uh, this is chapter three which will be focusing on uh matthew perry you know what that means alex it's the almost heroes episode hell yes it's a very rotten movie, so we'll be talking about it as if it was fresh. And on the after hours, on the flip side, just for patrons, we'll be talking about the whole nine yards, the the Matthew Perry Bruce Willis team up that uh, took the world by storm. You are gonna hate uh, almost heroes, and I'm so excited about it. <laughs> it happens every now and then. It happens. Until then, we ready to take this home. Take us away. All right, then. We're going to go ahead and close this out by moving to our perennial plugs. We're going to start off by thanking the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. Uh, he, he's the guy that came up with that little tomato looking at itself in the mirror. Uh, so if you like his work, you should check out his webpage, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. You can see a list of uh, all his novels that he's written. Uh, there's also links to other work, uh, like his podcast. He has a podcast about Peruvian career affairs called Nación Combi and a podcast about economy called Marginal. You can also reach him on Twitter at mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. And thank you to the support and effort from Zoe Perez, our social media guru. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. If you're not already on there, Zoe uh, has it set up with uh, some exclusive videos that preview our upcoming episodes. And, of course, you can find our latest episodes on there as well. On Instagram, at Contrarian Prime. On there, you will find some clips uh, pertaining to recent episodes that we've dropped, upcoming episodes, interactive graphics, pictures, audio clips, the whole kit and caboodle. Zoe, thank you so much for the work that you do for us. And thank you to you, those that have tuned in and have made it this far on our coverage of The Damned United from our wonderful patron, Ben. But that is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Fine,